Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Yeah, evening, Alex. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty well. Excited to uh, to talk about uh, what I would say a mid, mid-table limbo land uh, experience that we find ourselves in. <laughs> That's it. I mean, we were talking the last time you were on about uh, that Bristol City game and the importance mm-hmm. of winning that one to really kind of keep the uh the energy alive in our season and and the podcast as well but look we find ourselves the other side of uh well that game and now also the West Brom game and you know if you'd flip the results around you'd be reasonably happy but there's an an unexpected result against West Brom in many ways oh definitely I you know in in so many ways I didn't actually realize that West Brom uh you know sat as close as they did to us um on the league table um, and I know that they obviously, I think they started at the the kind of the beginning of the season and then they had a, a really impressive run of results and hadn't really paid uh, too much attention uh, to them. But obviously, you know, we know them as one of the, I, I guess, the more quality outfits in the championship. And uh, I guess the first uh, 20 minutes on um, of the, the match certainly suggested that we were, uh, you know, punching above our weight in, in many ways. Um, so, yeah, look, it was it was definitely an interesting result. It was one that I think surprised us. But with that being said, we've we've been pretty good at home lately. We have, yeah. I mean, look, it, it was it was probably the best result in terms of um, difficulty of opponent, I'd say, under yeah. Rosania. Um, I think, I can't think anyone else that was, maybe QPR would have been above us when we played them, potentially Birmingham as well. But in terms of, you know, as you say, top half calibre, top six mm-hmm. essentially calibre sides, um, a really strong result. It, it is interesting, as you say, to think that they're not that far above us in the table. They're only, I think, three points ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And everyone's including as we started this episode by saying it's sort of saying well that's you know whole season's pretty much over we're mid-table nothing to do but still talking about the playoff potential for West Brom and you think well you know they're only three points ahead of us if we if we do pick up another couple of shock results who knows what might happen oh there's always that hope but I think you know we've we've watched enough championship over the last uh, certainly decade to see how much things can uh, change and, and change quickly I think one of the things that I probably would guard against is, although we have, uh, you know, been uh, optimistic in many ways and we have gone on somewhat uh, small runs, I don't think we've seen any evidence to kind of suggest that uh, the type of football we're playing week in, week out is is good enough to to win at home and then go on the road and be able to do the same thing. So. I think that the the playoff picture probably, um, you know, m- maybe has us three points, potentially six points short, um, if if I'm, you know, to be honest. And I think that's probably where we come back to. It's um, we're not too far off, but we're probably just a little bit beyond that, um, you know, that reaching distance, given the fact uh, the difficulty of our of our run home as well that that has to be talked about. Yeah, I think you're right. And 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 it is that difficulty of the run home that really means, it really highlights, you know, you look back at those games against your Blackpools, your Sunderlands, um, mm-hmm. Huddersfields, those 1-1 draws at home that really kind of killed our momentum. And uh, you, you think you turn a couple of those into wins, all of a sudden you're looking higher up the table. But at the same time, at the, at the time, those draws were sort of seen as... Um, as steps in the right direction after the losses that we were suffering in similar games under Shotter. 
Yeah, exactly right. But I think that, you know, that's probably the difficulty of the championship when you think about, you know, where Burnley um, and Chef United and, and now Borough find themselves. They've, they've really kind of um, maybe set the tone for for that kind of elite top tier um, of, of golfing class. And then you've got kind of the best of the rest um, falling over each other. And I just think that there's too many of those teams um, to kind of, uh, you know, make it competitive. I think that we've we've got too much kind of huffing and puffing and and, and stopping and, and starting to actually be able to go on the incredibly impressive run that we need. But with that being said, I mean, it's it's not all doom and gloom because you do look at the West Brom result and it, it does show that the, you know, the caliber of side that we're putting out there and the football they're playing um, are capable of producing results. Yeah, that's it. And, and well, we, we can talk about that West Brom game in, in more detail now. Um, I guess sort of headlined by um, Benny Tete getting his first goal in um, black and amber colours was awesome to see. It's 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 long overdue in in the sense that I think his performances have have been right up there all season really, and it's great to see him get the reward for his um, for his effort. Yeah, it really has been. And I remember back to the start of the season where uh, prior to his um, his you know first injury, um, how pivotal he was in that the the strike partnership that led to a lot of um, Oscar's success. I think um, you know was, they really formed a um, you know a prolific partnership, and it was you know largely him aiding Oscar that that kind of put him I, I guess in in our minds as um, you know credential to be that that second striker or that second man up top that we needed and I mean it, it's a real shame that he did uh did get injured and then when we you know fast forward through the season and we think about the the headbutt incident and how that was uh you know a, kind of a significant sour point it, it's remarkable that it's only now that he he finds himself on the score sheet considering the impact that he has had in games um when he has played so I mean, in, in typical fashion, if, if you're going to score, you know, your first goal for your club, well, what a spectacular one that was to score to get him off the mark. Yeah, definitely. And then um, a pretty emotional celebration from him, which I, I mean, at, at the time I thought was just him kind of being over overcome by the emotion of, of scoring his goal. But you sort of later learn he was really good friends with Christian Atsu, who, of course, uh, sadly lost his life in the in the earthquakes in, in Turkey a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. Uh, clearly something that's been weighing on his mind. And, and we, we talked previously about um, uh, Ozan Tufan also mm-hmm. potentially struggling emotionally with with all of that happening in Turkey as well. So it, it sort of underlines, um, I guess, the emotional strain these guys can be under that you're just not even aware of. Yeah, and I guess that's one aspect of it. And the second aspect is thinking about the difficulty of, of the championship and just how many games are, are required to, you know, be played um, and, and how taxing that can be. Like, um if if the fixtures weren't as frequent, you know, you'd argue that uh, there's opportunity for them to to have some time off or, or whatever it is. But the reality is that you know they're expected to to deal with those things and then you know still show up for training and still play you know multiple fixtures a week, which is uh, you know a remarkable feat and an incredibly tough um, tough challenge. I would imagine to um, to be in a football playing frame of mind, um, which is what you know they're being asked to do. So. Um, yeah, I guess that that makes that the Tede goal even even all the more special. Absolutely, and look, he had a number of chances as well. He could have scored um, a couple of more couple more goals to go with it. But um, you also look at the other changes to the side. Christy, you know, apparently he's out for for a week or two, so we sort of hope that that's that's a, a smaller or shorter term injury rather than longer term. Hopefully, it's it's nothing too serious. Um, Coyle and Elder coming in for him and also for Greaves. Longman coming in for Ebue, who um, 
didn't get off the bench, actually, interestingly. I thought him and Traore um, staying on the bench for the game was was an interesting move. Um, we did see Ali come off the bench for his return from injury, which was great to see. I thought maybe at 2-0 you, you give Traore another run out just to get the fitness up when you sort of, you've got that kind of comfortable position in the game. But also, I suppose, you don't want to necessarily be risking, um, you know, a um, an undercooked or an underdone player when, you know, if West Brom score, all of a sudden it's a, a bit more of an intense game. Yeah, I think that was just the, exactly what you mentioned. I think right. it was a smart management from Rosinho. I know that as fans, you know, we are itching to to see Traore come back and 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 to make some level of impact. Um, and and I guess by that we mean you know playing some significant minutes. But the game probably didn't warrant it. Um, you know, given the given the lead and given the fact that uh, the result, well, it, it, it kind of felt somewhat comfortable um, in the end when we got that second one. But um, yeah, I think it's it was just uh, Rosinha being cautious more than anything. Um, and to to be fair to um, Abue, if if I'm pronouncing that correctly, he hasn't you know really shown all that much in the in the kind of lead up to warrant uh, getting on the field, particularly when you know he had Oscar waiting in the wings uh, to to come on as well. So um, that's probably uh, you know uh, it would be it would be tough to kind of make an argument for him um, if if Traore is not going to get on the field either. Yeah, that's it. Um, and then speaking of that second goal, I did initially think it was a McLaughlin goal, which would have been awesome to see. I think it's gone down as an own goal. Um, but uh, great to see uh, him involved in that way and, and he's having a terrific season. Oh, absolutely. I think it's it's starting to become like a, you know, banging a, the same drum or like a broken record <laughs> on, on this podcast. It, it does feel like he's, um, he's certainly an unsung hero in the squad at the moment. And it just seems to be that, um, you know, that that voice of reason at, at the back that just t- turns up every week, and you know exactly what you're going to get from you. Um, and then I guess lastly, before we we go on to the votes, um, I thought Darlow was quite good in goal. Um, it was interesting. I mean, I, I saw some comments saying that you know he didn't have any particularly difficult saves to make, which is probably true, but. Um, that his footwork and his positioning was what made them less difficult shots to save because he was always in the right positions. Um, I, I guess the one, if I was being an overly harsh critic on him, is he does seem to drop the ball a, a bit from um, what I'd call more routine saves. I think I saw it against Bristol City as well. And and then again in this one um, where you just want him to keep it keep it in his palms a bit more securely because uh, it hasn't cost us yet, but you, you never know if some, you know, an Oscar-esque striker is going to, you know, come in and, and pounce on the loose ball. So I think that'd be the, the one really harsh criticism if I was going to make one, but I thought it was overall an outstanding display from him. Yeah, look, I think if um, if we're looking to, to find criticism, which <laughs> I, I agree, you've, you've acknowledged that it is a harsh one. He still, um, he still made the AFL uh, team of the week as well. So, yeah. Um, yes, I, I totally agree. There's always that kind of uh, sketchiness or perhaps uh, over overbearing feeling as a fan where you see things like that that do kind of get in your head and make you wonder oh, i could see it going pear-shaped but um yeah apart from that he he was outstanding and um i, I did see that he uh, you know got a lot of praise after the game uh twitter kind of lit up from um from newcastle fans as well that were, were singing his praises so um you know fair play to dalo yeah Definitely. Well, um, I'll give my votes first and then I'll grab the three off you as well. Um, I, I found it really hard to look past Tede for the three votes. Um, really strong display, um, led the line really well. I thought in the first 20 minutes or so, he was dropping quite deep and meant that, you know, our forward line was a bit, um, 
underrepresented I suppose we didn't really have an out ball um, but then we sort of changed the shape a bit and I thought he was really dominant really did really well to hold up the ball play in uh, his teammates and then obviously get the goal and, and create a number of chances as well so um, awesome display from him in this one um, yeah as I as you mentioned um, I went Darlow for the two votes I thought he had a really outstanding display in goal um, made it look really comfortable and assured for us I think there was only the the swift free kick hit the post where you sort of you know, as it was coming in, you think maybe that's going in, but um, otherwise, yeah, had really good command of his area and looked really good. Um, mm. And then I went the one vote to Slater, um, who we haven't really mentioned yet, but I thought was another really strong display from him. I think it was him who got the assist for Tete's goal, playing him in. Um, and you can see why he's a favourite of Rossegna. I mean, people will say he's not the most technically gifted player in the side, but, you know, you look at your... David Myler's or Ian Ashby's in the past, and you don't always need to be the most technically gifted. It's it's the effort you put in and the graft that you do out on the on the pitch. And I think uh, it was another really outstanding display from him. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair shout. And I'm I'm actually glad that that you did mention uh, Slater because uh, the the build up to the Tede goal was um you know superb work from him. Um, and, and I felt guilty because it was a toss up between him and McLaughlin for my for my one point. Um, I, I followed you in. I thought Ted A was outstanding, and um, I gave him my three. Also, uh, I then gave um, Dalo my two points as well, as we've already talked about. And then yeah, McLaughlin snuck in for my one. But um, I do feel better about it knowing that you are that you were able to give uh, Slater a shout out and, and the, the solitary point. So yeah, I, I think that's pretty spot on. Good work. Okay, well, we'll move on then. Um, not a whole lot on the agenda for this week, but I did just want to touch on, uh, I suppose you'd call it transfer rumours or transfer news. Um, there's been a bit of comments during the week um, as we get in towards this point of the season about player contracts and, and things like that. And I think it sounds like, uh, you know, on the front of, of players who are out of contract that they're sort of waiting until the end of the season to assess all of that. But there has been a bit of talk about the fact that the club does want to sign Darlow and Connolly on permanent deals, which I don't think comes as any huge surprise. I think they were always the two in January that, that were coming in that we felt like it was basically a chance to, to get them on permanent deals. And you'd have to say on the um, the evidence that they've that, that they've shown us out on the pitch so far that they'd both be really great signings. Yeah, look, it's a short sample size. I mean, I guess the the beauty is that they're both, you know, two reasonably young players as well, which you know kind of fits the the mo that is is seemingly um, you know being produced with some of the type of players that we've that we've been signing. I still can't remember his name. Is it the Peruvian or? Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sally or something. Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously the links to um to Azure and buying the the Irish club and you know all that all that kind of stuff does seem to point towards this this whole idea of of youth development and and being able to look for other avenues to add to the to the squad and so um you know Connolly and Dalo are two probably far more established players but um, still have youth on their side so um, it doesn't come as a surprise and in the small sample size that we've seen from both of them as you mentioned uh you know they they certainly do warrant uh warrant contracts or um, some level of, of permanency so it would uh, it's certainly two players that i wouldn't be upset to see um you know join on on permanence but uh, i still think that there is a you know somewhat of a long way to go uh given the fact that we've still got what what month are we in now? We've we've just started March, so we've still got two months of football, or the best part of two months of football. So, it might be better to to kind of judge those at the end of the season. But if anything was to kind of you know be be iced um, in the meantime, I certainly wouldn't be upset about it. 
Yeah, and I think I actually saw, speaking of Connolly, that he and Sari are back in full training now, which was great to yep. see. So I think that should mean that um, well, we've got the international break coming up relatively soon. So it might be the other side of that or, or maybe the, the you know, appearances just before that break as well. So it is good to see him getting back to full fitness and we can, um, as you say, get more of a um, bit of a sample size of them out on the pitch rather than just going off. You know, he did score the two goals against QPR, but you kind of want to see what else he can do over the remainder of the season, um, yep. which would be good to see. Okay, well, let's move on to the who am I game then and then we'll preview the Coventry game to to wrap us up so you ready to go let's go let's uh, hopefully yeah Yeah. okay I'm I'm always interested at the um the first question I feel like that's the that's the one where you want to have a stab but sometimes they're just they're so broad that you um yeah nothing comes to mind initially but I am as ready as I'll ever be I think the second clue might be more of a help this time than the first, but we'll see how we go. So the first clue is that I made um, 114 appearances for City and I scored eight goals. Hmm. Okay. I feel like this is this is definitely a defender, well, potentially a midfielder, but more likely a defender. Um, 114 appearances, did we say? Yeah. So we're looking at probably between two and four seasons. Um, and and just to clarify, eight goals, did we say? Eight goals, yeah. Eight goals. Okay. Um, just just in – I don't want to die, die trying or die wondering, I should rather – um, I'm going to have a shot at just a, a kind of a random defender. Um, maybe uh, say Eric Lehigh. It's not, not a bad shout. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it's not Eric Lehigh. Uh, this mm. next clip will, will show, show why. It's a, it's yeah. a slightly different era to um, Eric Lehigh. But, so I joined City in 2007 and left in 2012. Yeah. Um, and I left City to join Melbourne Heart. Oh, um, I might give it okay. away actually. <laughs> Melbourne, yeah. So uh, the I guess the the players that uh, I, I would be really surprised. I uh, this this could be Robert Corrin, but uh, I, I could because be. I know that he went there. But I feel like he definitely scored. Um, he scored once. Oh, this is Richie Garcia. <laughs> it is Richard Garcia, yeah. yeah. I, because I, I, I actually forgot that he. I, I thought he went from um, us to like Sydney or something. I didn't realize that he and Corin both went to Melbourne Heart, which was yeah. Um, well, I've, the thing that clouded my thinking on that was I automatically linked Richie Garcia with Perth. Obviously, yeah, um, he went over and, and took up the head coach role um, at the Glory for uh, for a, a few seasons. I don't think yeah. he's still in touch now, but. Um, I had kind of erased that part of, of him going to Melbourne first and then going to Perth. So, yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was, it was funny when you were saying it was probably a defender. I went, oh, poor Garcia probably didn't have the uh, goals output that yep. playing on the wing would command. But yep. um, I, did have a, I did have a bit more detail in the next clue just in case you'd needed it. I was going to make a reference to his starting spot at the World Cup up top for Australia, which uh, didn't quite work out. But no, it was cool. a good get. 
Well, if if I'm not mistaken, I I, I know that uh, well, I guess it's very fondly remembered from from us, you know, Australian supporters down under. But I'm certain that he scored against, I believe it was Fulham, and I don't know if that was on the opening day or the second day of the, oh. Premier, the Premier League season. And he had the um had the it was a I think it was like a looping header, and he had the basketball uh you know shot yeah. goal celebration, and I, I remember that being quite early on in the season and it'd be good to to go back and find out exactly when that was but yeah that's probably my most uh memorable Richie Garcia moment in a uh in a city shirt yeah well there was it was that one and then there was the the goal that he almost or he did score against Watford in the playoff semi-final I can't remember if that was I can't remember if he actually scored it or if um Barnby or someone tapped it in. So yeah, no, it was the Blackburn game. It was the second game of the season he scored Blackburn. Um, yeah. in in a draw. Yeah, no, yeah. good shout. Um, cool, good one. Okay, well, we can round things off with a preview of the uh, the fixture with Coventry this weekend. Um, so they're on a bit of a tear at the moment. They've won four of their last five games um, and are really making a push for the playoffs. Um, managed by Mark Robbins, who I think just the other day celebrated. Six years in charge at, at Coventry, which was um, a really impressive feat from him, um, taking them from League Two up to the Championship and really challenging for promotion now, which is um, which is great to see from their perspective. Hmm. Um, obviously, we won the first game in the season three two with Oscar scoring that hat trick of uh, you probably say reasonably fortunate goals. It's sort of right place, right time sort of goals, um, which was which was you know, he was just scoring for fun at that time. Um, but it, it'll certainly be a challenging fixture now for us. So, how, how do you how do you sort of approach this one? Yeah, if, I, I hope I'm not getting my seasons mixed up. But if uh, if my memory does serve me correctly, I think Coventry had some pitch issues at the the start of yeah. the season, and maybe had to move some games or have some uh, postponed games. And I remember they had a pretty rocky start. So, um, yeah, I I think that is probably my fondest memory. Coventry, I, I say this respectfully, they're, they're not a team that you kind of think too much about. But in saying that, um, they've they've had a, a couple of sneaky, uh, solid seasons. Um, and so, you know, credit where credit's due. Uh, well done to Coventry. But it's certainly not a team that I've um, I've studied much. But, you know, for, what did you say? Four wins in the last five. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that, um, you know, as you said, with Mark Robbins, six years at the helm is, um, you know, pretty impressive feat in um, in management in the modern day game. So I think this will be a, um, a, re- a really tough test for us. Um, I was going to laugh when you said that because, you know, as Watford fans would attest, you, you look at the news overnight that Billich has gone after about four months there or something like that. And um, it was a Chris Wilder's taken on a quote unquote short term contract to the end of the season, which is a six month contract. But I'd suggest that six month contract at Watford's actually pretty long term. Yeah, that's an incredible, <laughs> incredible um news to wake up to. And I guess it's just kind of you know exactly what we talk about. The the challenge of being a modern day football manager and, and being able to galvanize the team and, and obviously build um you know some kind of culture at the club is is not often one that's uh, afforded to you. And I think that's you know we go go back to thinking about City and, and what it looks like we're trying to do with Rosinha is, is very much uh, bucking that kind of trend. So, um, you know, let's hope that we we, we see the our current manager in for a, uh, a stable amount of time and, and see if we can put together some kind of long term plan. But yeah, uh, sorry, I've, I've gone off I've gone off topic here. But as as far as Coventry, I think it will be an interesting uh, test for us. I I do think that in some ways that West Brom um, kind of victory alleviated any relegation concerns or any 
you know, low-level relegation concerns, particularly when we mentioned how difficult our run home is um, as far as the kind of league table suggests. So uh, it'll definitely be a tough test, although, um, you know, I guess having that that mindset of we've got nothing to fear and in, in some ways it, it feels like one of those mediocre dead rubbers where there's not too much at stake. Hopefully we, you know, able to play without fear and um, and and stop them in this this current run of form that they they find themselves. Yeah, and I'd be curious as well um, when it comes to our personnel as well that um, <laughs> obviously so I mean, we were talking about Traore before. Um, he's been back in full training for a while now. I don't know if you'd consider him from the start in this sort of game, but he'd be certainly coming up to a point where you'd be saying maybe you throw him in for half an hour, 40 minutes sort of thing in the fixture. Um, hopefully not rushing Ali back too quickly either, um, but hopefully seeing a bit more from him as well. Um, it, it does throw up some interesting questions around personnel because Elder and Coyle, I thought, put in really fantastic displays against West Brom. Um, and, you know, it was actually, it was quite interesting that Elder came in for Greaves because I don't think there was any particular issues with Greaves. Um, mm-hmm. But it does beg the question of whether Greaves would come back into this side or or you just kind of go with the same 11 that won against West Brom. Um, mm-hmm. I think we were talking in the last episode with you about the fact that having that consistency of lineup is something that we sort of need to be achieving where we can have that sort of ability for the, t- the side to gel and, and develop that chemistry. Um, so there's that potential just to roll out the same 11. Yeah, look, it will be an interesting one. I guess, you know, being away from home as well, uh, yeah, whether that kind of still applies, particularly from our from our current league standing, whether, you know, Resenia will want to kind of be rather aggressive and, and have a shot at them. Um, that may lead to some some kind of formation change if he if he wants to play, I guess, a more offensive shape. But, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be really surprised to see Graves start on the bench again. I think that it's kind of one of those things that when Graves is fit, uh, he does seem to kind of, you know, warrant the the top top four defenders, or at least you know in the in the starting lineup. So if if we were to to move another way and um and and he wasn't to start, I'd, I'd be really intrigued by that. Um, but as you said, it's it's possible if um if that's what Rosinha's thinking about keeping the consistency and the the chemistry from last week, then um you know I, I, it could happen. But I personally would be surprised to see Greaves start on the bench again. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, getting another clean sheet would be a really um, big boost to the side. I think I saw the stat that since the World Cup, only Burnley's had a tighter defence than us, or, or maybe Burnley and Luton, I think, might have been the two. So it's a it's a huge um, turnaround that we've seen from Rosinia in terms of that defence and the structure of the side. Um, when you consider that I think before the World Cup or when Schotter was sacked anyway, we were far and away the leakiest team in the division. So... Um, yeah, potentially we go the same defence again. Potentially we bring in Greaves to, to deal with someone like Gokarez who's in such strong form and and maybe is a bit more physical, um, you know, someone that Greaves could deal with potentially. And, and I guess a, a question maybe that that I've got for you, Alex, that I'd be really interested to know your thinking on is in regards to, I know that there's been, um, you know, some some rumours kind of linking Greaves to um, other clubs yeah. that, are, that have shown some interest. And when you find ourselves or when we find ourselves in this kind of dead rubber uh, kind of, you know, territory where we're sort of mid-table mediocrity um, in, without a real serious danger of, um, of being relegated and a very unlikely chance that we make the playoff positions, would that be seen as a you know a negative detractor for for Rosinha to you know potentially 
keep Jacob Greaves out of the the starting lineup if he is fit um, based on the form of other players? Would that, you know, help kind of, would that sway his opinion about, um, you know, some of the interest from other clubs? And I, I think it's a, it's a really fascinating, um, you know, prospect for Rosinia with how he does manage the the team and, and people, um, you know, in the dressing room. Yeah, it is an interesting one. I think... I think this far out, it shouldn't be playing too big a part in in sort of selection decisions. I, I guess I sort of think if the transfer window was open and there was mm. this really strong interest and maybe there was a bid being lodged, you, you pull him out of the lineup or, or something like that. But I think at this stage, it was interesting actually to see his comments on that, on that um, suggested interest where he said that, you know, whilst we're not looking to sell, there's always a price where, you know, if clubs come to us with a price for a player that we'll sit down and talk about it. So, it, it you know, similar similar sort of comments to what Ajun was saying start of the season, that there's always a price just, you know, needs to be right for the club and the player. Um, it'll be interesting. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a sort of a football romantic, I suppose, where I'd love Greaves to basically spend his whole career at City. And it was really great to see him sign that new long-term deal. But, you know... I, Similar to KLP, it would have been great to to have KLP stay for this season and, and give us a real shot of going up because, and, and similar to Greaves for next season, I think now that we've got Racine in and we've got the club really structured and settled, giving that season or half a season to see where we're, how we're looking come January um, would be hopefully something that he'd be, he'd be open to and, and sort of looking at the fact that he could get that promotion and that Premier League experience with his hometown club rather than as KLP is finding, going to a club, sitting on a bench and not getting a whole lot of game time or experience and, and you know, potentially ending up back on loan or sold to a mm. championship club again. Yeah. And I guess I, even just thinking uh, as you, uh, you know, shared your answer, I was kind of wondering about the uh, the prospect of actually playing them um, and making sure that they're on the pitch for yeah. the exact same reason. Because if, you know, if there is a, a purple patch of form towards the end of the year that, that might actually, you know, jack the transfer interest and the price for the club, uh, you know, that too could also work in our favours. And, and I'm not saying that that we want Jacob Greaves to to leave because I think he's a he's a fantastic player and clearly, um, you know, he's well regarded and part of the the future plans at City. But um, you know, I, I do think that there's a precarious position for um, for the manager in the way that he does kind of balance, um, you know, his team sheet, knowing that this time of year the fact that there's not really too much on the line, um, you know, you can kind of make or break um, potential deals without necessarily thinking that way. Yeah, and, and even more broadly, um, you sort of think with not much on the line, these games are really where he needs to see his full squad. And that could actually be a, a, a part of the reason that Elder, for instance, started against West Brom, where Elder is out of contract in the summer. Um and he started and played really well against West Brom. So it should be in Rosinia's mind that, okay, this is a guy that I can actually rely on if if our first choice is out injured. I can throw him in against a quality side like a West Brom and he can perform to the level that we, we need. So it gives him answers to some of those questions in a really low-risk environment where he can then make decisions on players' futures, where instead of sitting down at the end of the season and guessing or or you know being a bit harsh on players or whatever you can actually see it out on the pitch and, and give them that chance to prove themselves yeah 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 absolutely um so score prediction for this one <sighs> look it's it's actually a really hard one to pick because uh, you know when i think back to the the west brom game and and the victory we did absorb a lot of pressure at the start and they they looked like a, a far better team before 
you know, the Ted A goal really, really shifted the momentum and we we kind of seemed to grow in confidence and, and play with our tails up. And um, I I guess at home that is, is sometimes a kind of an easy thing. We know how important the first goal is, certainly for City. Um, uh, to go on the road to a Coventry side that's flying, uh, look, my prediction is probably one all draw and I'd be really happy with that, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah well, I'd be happy with that too. I, I do think the goal scoring form that they're in and I look at, as you say, how we started against West Brom is if, if Coventry put away one of their chances early in this one, it could be maybe two or three, um, three nil for them. Um, I, I'd hope not. I, I Yeah, I think as you say, maybe a, maybe a one nil to them or a two one to them, I think is where I'd lean. Um, hopefully we can get on the score sheet and hopefully we can uh, keep the goals down otherwise. Um, but you know, as I sort of said, I mean, I guess our our defensive record in recent months has been quite strong. So I don't think we should be going there with too much fear. Uh, just got to shut down Gokeres and um, and keep their attacking options quiet. Does three points here and other results going our way put us back in the promotion race? Well, that that's where it gets interesting, doesn't it? Because what we're I'm just having a look at the table now. So we right. we are ten points off. So it is okay. a bit. But, yeah, look, I guess it's the positive and the negative of the tough run home. It means that if we are knocking off these sides that we're taking points off teams above us and we can start to leapfrog teams. But, you know, as you were sort of saying earlier, you're almost having to go on like a six or a seven game winning run, which at the moment I can't see. But, look, over the next few games, we'll certainly find out um, just what we've got to play for come the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it. Well, look, thanks for joining me, Logan. My pleasure, Alex. Good to be here. No problem. And thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll be back this time next week to review that Coventry game and look ahead to a pretty massive game against Burnley uh, next midweek. So until next time, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. There's no turning